I know, this isn't the intro you're expecting. Real quick before the episode starts, an important announcement. If you want to be a part of next week's finale wrap-up episode for season one, I have one question for you. What is one crumpled paper of your own that through listening to the conversations this season, you have been able to better navigate, process, or discern in your own spiritual journey? It can be an idea or belief about God, church, or yourself that the conversations facilitated this season have helped you gain a better perspective on and aided you in trading out some unhealthy perspectives for healthy new beliefs. If you have an answer to that question, record yourself answering it in a minute or less and email it to crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. Every answer submitted will be included in the finale wrap-up episode for everyone to hear. Submissions can be recorded in either video or audio and can be completely anonymous. The deadline to submit is next Sunday, July 30th. But that's enough for me. On to the real intro. In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Colton Roan, a former ministry leader in a sister church organization who shares his experiences standing up for and facing the repercussions of his dissenting views of his church's practices and many of the amazing things he has learned since leaving. This week's conversation is based on the topics and themes in chapter 22 of my book, A Jumble of Crumbled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on this episode, the last official main episode of season one, there will be a wrap-up episode next week, but this is the final episode following my book, Chapter by Chapter. And on this episode, I have a very special guest. I have Colton Roan, who some may know, some may not. For some, this is a familiar name, and for some, this may be a new name. Colton, you and I met on Facebook Recently, we came, I, I came into contact with you by a few fellow Facebook friends because you had some, some timely stuff going on with, with some church stuff that was colliding with my world, and I was following your journey on Facebook. So we'll get into all that, but I'm really happy to have you on. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well, man. It's great to be here. It's um, great to see you face-to-face on Zoom, and it's been, uh, it's been a good journey. Awesome. So, Colton, I'll give you your chance in a second to give us the whole spiel about your journey. But one thing I want to distinguish for people first, just a bit of background info of how our connection or what our connection is, is my former church organization was a worldwide organization. And at a certain point, the head leader who was in charge of basically the entire thing left our organization and started a different organization with a different name. And that organization is where you come from. And that is now your former church organization. So in a way, your former church is kind of like a sister organization to my organization, where we're not related except for we have the same kind of head guy. And because of that, even though we're not related on any other factors, we have many, many similarities in our structure, 
in the way we operate, in our ideologies, in our beliefs, in our practices, in our culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So two completely different churches, but so many similarities and many people from either one of those organizations knows many people from the other. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to hop right into it and ask you this first question. So the question I ask every guest to start off, would you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Yeah, so I, I grew up the youngest of five kids on a farm in Northeast Ohio. Hmm. And growing up, we went to a Methodist church growing up. And uh, I did all the activities. I was an acolyte. I was in the youth group on Wednesday nights. And by the time I got to high school, I was so busy, I didn't make it to church all the time. Mm-hmm. However, my mother passed away when I was uh, 18. And by the time I turned 19, I decided I was going to travel to California. And I ended up in Arizona, where I got a sales job selling portraits. <laughs> a good family friend, the Nelson family started the company and I got a job as a salesman and a coworker invited me to Bible talk eight times. <laughs> I told him no seven times. And the eighth time I finally came to a Bible talk. He got you. At, at Arizona State University. Mm-hmm. And I was really blown away that there was young people, there was different backgrounds, different nations, and they seemed to really know their Bibles. And they asked me if I wanted to study the Bible, and I said, no, I'm good. And they said, well, maybe we can hang out and do a Bible study or something. And I said, okay, you know, I'm new to Arizona, I need to make new friends. So we decided to meet up and hang out and do a Bible study. And that's really when uh, I've always kind of believed in God. I struggled a little bit after my mom died, questioning if God is real. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've always believed in God, believed the Bible is the word of God. Now we're doing Bible studies to really dig into the scriptures. And it really blew my mind that the Bible said what it said, because I never really read it. Mm-hmm. I knew all the stories. I knew kind of the, uh, the context in a sense. But I never really studied it or read it from cover to cover. And so at uh, 19, studying the Bible, looking at these studies and topical things, I was really blown away. And it uh, actually made me mad after one when we looked at a study that was about discipleship. Hmm. And I thought my whole life I was a Christian because I simply believed. And they showed me a study that you had to be a disciple. And I got so angry after that study. <laughs> I was dead set to prove them wrong. Sure. I studied my Bible for the first time and I couldn't prove them wrong. So I said, okay, teach me more. Mm. Being sprinkled with water as a baby, I decided I was going to get baptized full submersion Mm. at 19 years old. And that's when I became a member. It was February 12th at 1133 at night in Mm. 2008. And that was kind of my journey into the faith there and really kind of growing in my faith in Christ and in the Bible. Well, after I was baptized in February, I decided to give up my sales job. At some weeks, I was pulling in $1,000 a week, (laughs) but I was working sometimes close to 70 hours a week. It was just on commission. Mm. And I lost my motivation to sell and make money because I really wanted to train in the ministry. I really wanted to study the Bible with everybody and anybody. And so I decided to give up that job 
I started working construction and finally landed a job with Aetna as a review for pharmacy. And anytime I was off work, I would then be going on the campus with the guy who studied the Bible with me. And we would just meet people and do Bible studies. And before I know it, two months a part of the church, I'm already now leading a Bible talk yeah. at Arizona State University, mm-hmm. and then even started a brand new ministry out of ASU West. And things were just going really in a great way. Yeah, I ended up reading the entire Bible cover to cover in two months. <laughs> I just loved the Bible. I, I still love the Bible, but I just fell in love with it on a very deep level at mm-hmm. that time. Well, after about uh, close to a year, my leader was asked to move to Los Angeles, California and plant the fourth region of the church. And in that process, I decided I'm going with him. And I gave up my job. I was just about a year in. And because I had some money saved up, I put myself into the full-time ministry in Long Beach, California. Of course, at that time, I just started dating a young woman in the church. She was from Oregon. We met at a conference. And we started dating steadily, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. And so she also moved on the mission team. And we started the South region of the church uh, back in, in 2010. We were leading the Bible talk and it was very, very successful. We were baptizing a lot of people. It was really growing. And there was some weirdness with my leader that started to come out, some of his dark sins. And so he was asked to come out of the ministry And I just so happened to be in the room at the right time where my leader asked me if I would like to preach that Sunday for the South region. Of course, I preached that Sunday and that's how I started my, my ministry career in a sense. I was a region leader at that time then Mm -hmm. all unpaid. I was living off of my savings. Hmm. And as those dwindled down, I helped Lance Underhill start Underhill painting in Los Hmm. Angeles. And we were painting homes in order to just get some cash flow to survive. Yeah. At this time of leading the region, I was getting very, very serious with my girlfriend, Mandy, where I really wanted to get married. Mm. And after much advice, of course, there was a whole process in that, as, a, as most people know who've listened to your podcast. But I got the green light and <laughs> we ended up getting married July 10th, 2010. And our oh. first kiss was at the altar. Yeah. Amazingly, right after we got married, we went on a honeymoon in Southern California and we got back to our little apartment, a little studio, and we got asked to move to Riverside, California and start the in- Inland Empire region of the church. Hmm. So we decided... We're going to move. We couldn't afford rent out there. So we had a brother rent one of the bedrooms in a two-bedroom apartment. And that's how we established the Riverside region. And this all being unpaid. Mm -hmm. I gave up my college career at Ohio State University. So I decided to put myself back into school at Riverside Community College. Uh, I used to do pole vault. So I I joined the track team Mm -hmm. and I worked as a part-time teacher for Princeton Review, teaching kids how to take the ACT and Mm. get a good score. So I was doing that, going to school full-time, newly married and leading the new region. So I was preaching on Wednesday nights, Friday nights, Mm -hmm. Sunday mornings, and we were just all in. Yeah. 
we went basically from 10 members in seven months to 30 members. Hmm. And hmm. we got asked if we'd like to move to London, England to be the campus leaders in London, England, and actually to be in the ministry for the first time. Hmm. Of course, during those conversations, too, we were given a reimbursement of $400 a month <laughs> to, to kind of pay the cost of what we were already doing. And so that was the first time I actually got paid in the ministry. Mm. Uh, I cried tears of joy. <laughs> We'd never been there before. We stayed in a brother's apartment. We ended up getting an apartment ourselves a month later. Mm. And about two weeks after that, we ended up having our first child born uh -huh. in London, England, uh, my daughter, Haley. Mm. And we were there for 15 months doing ministry. We were barely paid enough to pay rent and get travel passes, let alone food. Yeah. There was times where we sold our belongings. We, uh, my wife sold her grandmother's earrings just so we could have enough money for groceries. Wow. There was a lot of hardship. And we, we talked with the leaders there even afterwards and they apologized and we forgave them. Yeah. But um, all in all, Great experience, learned a lot of life lessons and got well-cultured living in London. Sure. At that point, we were then asked to plant the Boston church in Boston, Massachusetts. So mm. after 15 months of being in London, we moved to Boston, Massachusetts and started the church there. I was now 23 years young and newly married, yeah. just shy of two years. And uh, we were excited for life and Moved there with a, a small team and ended up being one of the fastest growing churches in the whole movement. Hmm. We went from about 14 members to 52 yeah. in our first year. So God was giving us great success. Ended up getting pregnant with our second daughter, who was then born in Boston. Hmm. Uh, her name is Trina, after my, my mom, who passed away. And um, after four years there, I was working on my master's in ICCM, hmm. which is a university that's not a real university, but it's within the churches. Sure. So I was going for my master's. I was reading all these books. I was taking ancient Greek at Boston University as a special student. Hmm. My wife was pregnant with our second, and we sent so many people out from Boston yeah. uh, to New York and different plantings. And we got a call basically asking us to move to California. A lot of it was because our leaders at that time, a couple that were very high up in leadership, they were taken out of ministry. And so when that happens, anybody under them also got shuffled and moved around because they wanted to make sure we were, I think, still all on board, united. Sure. They paint it two ways when you get asked to move. Sometimes it's painted as you need the help. And other times we're going to move you because we need your help. Sure. And so I really don't know the whole story on why we moved to L.A. from Boston, but we moved in 2016 and we were then the super region leaders of L.A. So that meant we were overseeing Orange County. We were overseeing different regions within the church, Inland Empire, which now had become not only Inland Empire, but Palm Springs and Coachella Valley. We were overseeing uh, Las Vegas and San Diego. Wow. And so now we went from just leading Boston to now overseeing multiple congregations. And we really went through some hardships there. And I think that promoted us moving to Ohio in mm. 2018. 
it's always been my dream to move to Ohio. I love Ohio. I'm a Buckeye, born and raised. I, you know, gave up Ohio State to leave, which I thought was only going to be a six months journey, ended up turning into 15 years. Wow. And so it got moved up. We are now going to plant Columbus, Ohio in 2018. So yeah. the hardship led to us moving. Mm. And so, you know, when you go through these hardships, you have unity meetings, you forgive. And I believe in all these situations, the, the relationships were restored, Yeah. but it kind of spurred on these transitions where now we're moving to Ohio. We take a, a small team around 20 and we plant the Columbus church. And that's where we ended up moving into a house. Me and my wife, we rented a house for the mission team and 14 people lived in a duplex just to get started, just to start the church. We lived in a duplex. Yeah. Me and my wife and my two daughters lived upstairs. We shared the living room and kitchen and seven brothers in the church lived in the basement. Wow. And nobody said that was a bad idea. I thought it was a genius idea. Of course, (laughs) a couple months in, I found out it was really a bad idea. Yeah. And so luckily my leader gave us some help and we ended up getting an apartment Hmm. a year in, we get rear ended on the freeway and two years in, we finally get a settlement from that accident. Hmm. And along with a little bit of help from the church, we ended up getting uh, the amount of money we needed to put a down payment on a house. And we were able to secure our first home. At this time, uh, my wife gets pregnant with our third daughter, (laughs) who then is born in Columbus, Ohio. And in a lot of ways, our life was really going well. We, We bought our first home. We have three daughters. The church is doing well. In a lot of ways, life was going really, really well. But that's when something started to not sit well with us. And that's when we started to see some things that we started to question. Hmm. But that's really kind of my my spiritual journey <laughs> up yeah. to probably our next transition here of mm-hmm. where we're going. That's great. And that does lead right into the next question. But first, I wanted to take a moment to say that this episode is episode 22, which is based off of chapter 22, the final chapter in my book. And the title of the chapter is Know What You Believe and Know What You Don't. And this is, in many ways, the culmination of my entire book. Everything I wrote about, my experiences, my journey, the things I've learned, the various topics and themes, this is the chapter kind of taking a look back at everything and kind of trying to leave the reader with one final message, whereas... I've told my, my story, here's my experiences, here's the things that I know many other people have experienced in churches, and here's what I want to leave you with. And this chapter deals with, with two primary things. One is that it's largely focused on how unhealthy churches and spiritual communities warp the perception of God and Jesus. And I, I talk about uh, a popular Christian TV, kids TV show called Veggie Tales, which I'm sure many of you know. Um, and in that, there's a song about the boogeyman, how God is bigger than the boogeyman, talking about how all the things that scare us and our trials and hardships, God is bigger than that. And I, I raised the question, is it possible that perhaps the real boogeyman that this dynamic involves with that's against God is the false image? 
of God that many Christians and churches have placed on him. We, in a very real way, are the creators of the monster, of the evil that we are so adamantly fighting against, right? At many times to a fault. And as a result, right, God gets a bad rap. And the, the other major theme that this chapter revolves around is truth and how what leads people to church in the first place is a desire for truth and a hope that a church will help them decipher what they hope to be that truth, which is the Bible, which is God, which is Jesus. And many people come to churches in hopes that they'll be able to find the truth. They'll be led towards that truth. And in many, far too many unfortunate circumstances, they're handed something that they are told is the truth and is in reality so far from what the truth actually is when it comes to God and Jesus and the Bible and ourselves. And the through line of the chapter in accordance with those themes is that it's so important to know what we believe and know the things that we believe are right and godly and biblical and just, and also really very clearly knowing the things that we don't believe and we believe are wrong and ungodly and unbiblical and harmful. And in many cases, it is that discernment that can lead people to either stay in the church or leave their church. And that is the transition to this next question, which is, you eventually ended up, spoiler alert, leaving this former church organization. And I wanted to ask you if you could take us through the process you went through to deciding to leave. What was the reasoning behind your decision? And what were some of the most notable events during the period of time leading up to your departure? Great question. So we wrote everything down and documented everything, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was journaling or something of those sorts. We posted it all on our website, roanfamilyadventure.com. Yeah. But it started back in 2022 in may uh it was said to be the year of the spirit (laughs) and so me and mandy are really praying that god would lead us by the spirit Mm -hmm. and in that may missions i ended up walking 25 miles for our walkathon wow i was giving uh blood at the plasma centers to raise extra funds uh to offset the costs and real quick, for anyone who doesn't know what a missions is, uh, missions offerings are at many different churches, but they are primarily periods of time that are kind of like campaigns to raise a certain amount of money as a church body for various things, whether it's a staff thing or a church thing or a, some kind of organization or something, whatever you're raising the money for, they set a goal and that whole, let's say a month or two weeks, the entire time is this large campaign to raise this money by oftentimes whatever means necessary. And I know in our church, both in my church and in your church, Colton, the precedent for this was pretty rigid, a little bit wild in terms of not just the amount of money that the goal was to be raised, but also how many offerings and missions they did per year. And the measures of expectancy that the church and their leaders put on the members to raise these funds. You're set for this amount. You pledge this much money that you're going to end up coming up with to give. And if you don't, there's a problem and you're going to have to, you need to, you need to find a way to raise this money regardless of what you do. So people, it's a history of 
people going to insane lengths to make sure they find that money and have it raised. But anyway, so you were doing these things to raise this money. The church didn't have enough money to pay our salary, so we took a pay cut. Mm. We were doing whatever it took. Uh, when the church wasn't able to hit its goal in our missions that was given to us, I started to go out fundraising and raising extra funds to, to make a victory for the church. Mm. I fought really hard to let everybody be happy with what they could do. Yeah. But as a family, we really wanted to hit that goal that was given to us. And so we end up working really hard as a church. We hit the goal. And after everything said and done, I called through every member to ask them how they were feeling. Mm. And as I talked to the members, I could tell there was a heaviness on them. Mm. And I, I kind of felt like, what's going on? You know? And they said, well, I didn't hit the goal that I wanted to hit. And I feel bad about that. And I said, whoa, 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 did you do your best? They said, yeah, I did my best. I said, well, that's, that's all you can ask for, you mm, know? Yeah. And, and we tried to, to mentor to the hearts, but it really got me because I started to think, why are people feeling so heavy? We should all be having a great victory, yeah. but instead we're having a heaviness. Something's off. Something's wrong. Well, one of the the sisters in the church, she's uh, older, so she's on social security and she has a limited income. Yeah. She gave so much for missions and afterwards she didn't have enough money for gas hmm. and her car was getting broken down and needed repairs and she didn't have money for that. So I go, oh my gosh, uh, we got to help this sister. Yeah. Now, normally I would give extra benevolence even out of the contribution funds yeah. when anybody in the church needed help. But at this time we were so tight, we couldn't do that. So I reached out to the rest of the world sector mm. and I said, Hey guys, we got a situation here. Can we get some help? And I just got passed along to other people <laughs> and then nobody wanted to help all of a sudden. Yeah. And I thought that's really strange because we're a family. Somebody mm. needs help in Africa. We gave somebody needed help in Manila, Philippines. We gave, we're a family. We take care of each other. Mm. And now all of a sudden when we need the help for this sister, it's as if nobody can do it. And I, I started to go, that's strange. Mm. So I'm having these feelings already. I'm, I'm kind of questioning some stuff just from experience, but my motto has always been, you take a stand for righteousness over sin. Mm. When it comes to opinion issues, you just get behind for unity's sake. You, you, you deny yourself. Mm, That's yeah. always kind of been my motto. And so even with these feelings or, you know, any time over the 15, 16 years I was ever hurt by somebody, yeah. you forgive, you move on. It's not the standard, yet those things can happen. Sure. So, so this is a, a situation that it doesn't break it because I'm sure in other world sectors or maybe if I would have, you know, put more pressure on people, the funds would have appeared. I don't know. There's different things I could have done probably. Sure. But regardless, it was an experience that made me start to question and think. Mm. Well, I came across 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Mm. I was asked to study it out because someone asked, how is it that we have missions goals and that's not compulsion? Yeah. And I came back with the answer that I think every evangelist had was, well, giving under compulsion would be grabbing someone's wallet and right. making them give that amount. And nobody's doing that. So mm -hmm. we don't have people give under compulsion. And, 
And they said, well, can you study it out? And so I started to study it out and I, you know, studying Greek at Boston university. Yeah. I started to get into the Greek and I was really alarmed with what I found because the Greek word for compulsion in second Corinthians nine, seven is the passage. It teaches that when you are giving based on necessity, that's compulsion. Yeah. So, Hey, this is the need. And that's why you're going to give 500, a mm. $2,000, because that's what's needed. Yeah. It says, no, you should give based on your motivation from Christ, not based on needs. Right. Then the other part of it is you're not supposed to be giving based on pressure. Right. Yep. <laughs> okay. So I'm going, oh no, because even though many church leaders do not, they try to protect their people. Right. You're given a goal on how much money you need to raise for emissions. Yeah. And that's supposedly done because the need is then separated amongst the churches. And so you're just kind of given an amount based on how many people you have. You have no say in it. It's just this is the amount that you need to raise. And if you don't have it, you need to figure out how to fundraise and make ends meet. But as a church leader, you would then go to your people and say, hey, if everybody gave two thousand dollars, we'd hit our goal. Right. But what do you want to give? And so some people would give numbers, 500, 1,000, 750, you know, 2,000, 3,000. They would give whatever number they wanted to give. And then off of that budget, you would try to work out how much do we need to fundraise? How much are we going to be short? Plus, when it's done that way, whatever amount you end up with, you can be confident in the fact that that's the amount that is willed by God, right? That is the amount that God wanted us to have because each person was led individually by him to give whatever amount they felt confident in giving. And whether it's way under what you would hope for or way more, there's a confidence that comes with that, that, okay, this is exactly what we're meant to work with. So our options, therefore, with the budget we have, are the options that we are meant to decide from in a way. So yeah, absolutely. And so if you're a good church leader, you really fight hard for people not to give under compulsion. So most members, if they're under a good church leader, they have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah, true. But as a church leader, what's happening is compulsion. You can't give a church a goal and say, hey, you have to raise this amount. That's compulsion. Right. It's a bill, not a gift. True. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't want to come back to the leadership in an arrogant way and just say, hey, guys, we need to change this. We're all, you're all wrong. And yeah. I found this and I'm right. So I wrote an email in July asking for a sabbatical. Mm. And in my email, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that I really needed time to further study this out. Yeah. And I expressed that I can oversee the church in Columbus until the Global Leadership Conference that August. I have different people preaching and everything set, but I would like to start my sabbatical once we get back from the Global Leadership Conference in in August of 2022. Mm. I got phone calls from so many of the leaders that I, I posted on this email. Yeah. And they wanted to talk. They wanted to hear me out. They wanted to, you know, understand where I'm coming from. But I learned from Kip that they they do not do sabbaticals. Hmm. Kip told me, he says, a sabbatical is just a nice way of getting fired. Hmm. I go, oh, okay. He says, you don't want to do ministry anymore? I said, no, I want to do ministry. Yeah. (laughs) And he kind of had a firm hand with me, the firmest he's ever had with me. We've been friends and we get dinners together. We, you know, we, we were, he was my friend Mm -hmm. 
And he was the firmest he ever has ever been. And he told me I was wrong, that I was adding to the word, that it was incorrect. And I stepped back. I kind of went, oh, yeah, maybe I am really wrong here. And I just totally forgot how to study my Bible. And I just sure. messed up. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I, I didn't really mention anything more of it. We kind of just went about the ministry and got to the GLC. I still had some questions. Yeah. So I got with a few of my trusted friends or shepherds or shepherds in training or, or these types of people. And everybody I talked to, nobody had anything really to say. Mm. Um, I told our, our mentors, hey, did you know compulsion means pressure or necessity? Yeah. And his response wasn't, oh my gosh, we're, we've been not following the Bible or, oh my gosh, let's study this out more. It was, well, then how would we do it? Hmm. How would we raise missions? And I kind of thought that's a strange response, right? Very, yeah. Not, not let's follow the Bible here. Let's further this study. Let's, let's see what it really says. But your response is, how, how can we, we meet it? our agenda? Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that was another red flag. I go to the Global Leadership Conference. Kip gets up and he preaches a sermon and he calls everybody in Los Angeles to start getting ready hmm. that come 2023, they need to give $20 more per person per Sunday. Wow. Yeah. My leader then asks all the church leaders under his charge to ask everybody to give $20 more. Hmm. I wrote him back once we got back and I said, I cannot do that. I said, I can ask people to give. I can ask them to sacrifice. I can ask them to excel in their giving. Like it says in 2 Corinthians, I can even use my financial giving and percentages mm -hmm. as, a, as an example to say, hey guys, this is how much percentage wise me and Mandy are giving from our income to inspire, but I am not going to ask them to give $20 more. And he called me up and he said, bro, I read your email. What's going on? <laughs> and I said, well, bro, to be honest with you, Kip only asked LA to do that. But he asked all the other churches to increase. So technically, I'm not disobeying here. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, okay, you know, I see your heart. You want to be unified. You're not just rebellious. Okay, that's fine. You can do that in Columbus. And I go, okay. Yeah. I said, but how is that not compulsion? Hmm. He said, bro, Kip can ask for whatever he wants. Doesn't mean he's going to get it. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Well, now all of a sudden emails start coming out that there wasn't supposed to be a fall missions. Now there is a fall missions in November mm. because of added cost, unforeseen costs. There's going to be a three timeser. Then mm. it got to a 3.5, then a four time, then a 4.5 timeser. Now all of a sudden Columbus needs to give $6,633 to LA. Mm. Now I got all this understanding of missions in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and I'm going, oh man. This is going to tell a lot how this is going to work out. Sure. And now in my mind is, well, he can ask for whatever he wants. Doesn't mean he's going to get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I tell the church uh, one time, I said, hey, guys, we're, we're going to be having emissions this fall. L.A. is asking for us to send $6,633. But whatever you want to give, if you want to give to missions, this is the date sure. we wanted to collect it by. Uh, let us know. Yeah, And every Sunday from that time on, I would just say, hey, guys, missions uh, is our goals coming up. You know, whatever you want to give. I uh, just want to make sure you give with a happy heart, a generous heart. Yeah, And that'd be all I would say. And just started to watch how people were responding. We get up to missions time. Um, my wife sends a nice letter two days before missions is due. They start having talks. 
And we come up with missions the day of on Sunday, and we've only raised like $2,800. Hmm. One young campus brother, he asked me, he said, bro, how did we do for missions? And I said, bro, we raised $2,800. He goes, that's amazing. Yeah. He goes, I can't believe we raised that much. That is awesome. And I, I kind of chuckled in my heart because I go, wow, if he would have known the goal being pushed on everybody, right. he would have felt discouraged and depressed and all oh, we failed. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's excited. He's happy. No. He's, he's exactly what we should be when right. we give a gift to the Lord. Right. Now, I come the next few days and I tell him, hey, we're short. This is what we have. And uh, he was very merciful. He said, oh, hey, bro, you know, what happened? And you need to start earlier. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you could be having people do Grubhub and these things. And I came yeah. back and I said, well, I believe that I could have been more creative. We could have done things earlier. I said, but I already have some individuals working two, three jobs, just trying to make ends meet with inflation yeah. at a 40 time year high, like all time high in 40 years. I said, this is, this is what we have. Yeah. He says, bro, we'll make up the difference. You're the only church that failed in missions this year. Yeah. But we'll make it up for you and we'll keep it anonymous. And so he reached out to all the other church leaders in the group and he said, and I'm on the chat. He said, hey, there's a church that that missed. Uh, we need to raise uh, an extra $1,500 or something like that. And I had to text him, message him privately and say, well, actually, it's it's more like over 2,500. <laughs> yeah, actually, sorry about this. Exactly. But yeah. yeah. Closer to three grand, you know? Yeah. And so he comes back to the church leader. He goes, Oh guys, Colton informed me Columbus actually needs 3,000. Oh, and I just, so now it's all public to the church leaders, which, you know, that doesn't help your relationships sure. when you've worked hard to meet your goal and then somebody else falls short. And now you're asked. Yeah to make up their difference. Mm-hmm. And we've been on both sides of that before in the 15 years of, of leading. And so, <laughs> so that comes up. I tell everybody, Oh, thanks guys. But it's, it's, it's hit me. You got individuals giving a gift, mm-hmm. but you fail. How do you fail? Unless it's a payment. Yeah, It's no longer being asked as a gift and requested. And Hey, you're not going to, you, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. No. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you failed to raise a certain amount. And, and you know, as a church leader, you don't miss missions. Mm-hmm. You figure out a way. You make it happen. And if you fail enough, you get moved. Yeah. You get demoted. So at this point, I now realize we're done. Mm. I'm done being a church leader in this movement because I cannot meet the requirements of raising missions nice. with compulsion. I just can't do it. So now my mind is thinking I'm going to step down. But then I realize something. I can't just sit in the pew (laughs) and be a member right? because God has called me to be a preacher. I I don't believe it's a job. I believe it's a calling. Hmm. And so I can't be a member anymore. Hmm. Now my mind's going all over the place because I realize I go, wow, I, I have to not only step down, I have to leave the church. And the only reason I'm leaving at that time is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Wow, just one, That's the one only verse. reason. Yeah. One verse, because I believe yeah. you got to go with the Bible over everything else. And, and just one verse yeah. that you're willing to disregard and disobey, that's enough to ruin your relationship with God based on Matthew 15. So I wrote an email. It was the hardest email to write. Yeah. I texted Kip. I said, Kip, we need to talk. 
He didn't respond to me within the few hours, and I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to send my resignation email. And I was very polite. Uh, you can find it on my website. Mm-hmm. Very respectful, I thought. I said, hey, I, we disagree on this. I just want to leave peacefully. Yeah. Please don't mark me. <laughs> yeah. I see this as there's some some weeds in the field here, mm-hmm. but I don't want to go pick out these weeds and uproot the wheat mm-hmm. and ruin someone's faith. So I'm just going to walk away quietly. Yeah. I'm not kind of trying to dis- disturb anybody. So that Wednesday night, I sent the email at about four o'clock. I went to midweek at 6.30 and I told the church that I take being a leader very, very serious. Uh, you know, first John about being a leader, you get judged more strictly. And I said, I take this very serious and yeah. I'm, I'm not united with leadership on some things. Hmm. And I told him, I said, it's not fair to you for me to still be a church leader here if I'm not united with leadership. Sure. I said, so at this time I'm stepping down our shepherds. They're now leading the church. And, um, I ask you guys to stay close to Christ yeah. and to be faithful. And it's all going to work out Sure. in my mind. I thought they were all going to call me. I stepped out of leadership, but I, I thought they were going to call me and be like, bro, you you obviously feel conviction on this. Let's yeah. study this out. Let's talk. Let's meet up. You know, mm-hmm. I got a missed call from Kip at midweek from my text message. And he lets me know that in, in the voicemail that he left me saying, I got your text and if it's urgent, call me back. If not, we'll talk tomorrow. And I go, he hasn't read my email yet, obviously. So I'm going to wait till he reads my email. (laughs) The next day I wake up and we are, we're just feeling so much. My wife literally had to go to the ER because she thought she was having a heart attack. That's how much emotional Mm. hardship you go through because you just, you believe that we were the church. Right. And now you've stepped out of it because of sin on their part. And you just, you really don't know what to believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't get any response, no text, no call, no email back that Friday. They flew in, they brought a few people and they met with the whole church. And the re- report that was given to me was we were led astray by Satan. Um, we abandoned the sheep. We didn't love the people because we just left them with no one in charge. Yeah. And that was the the spin that they put on it. And I sat back. I didn't post anything on Facebook. I didn't outreach to anybody. I just said, you know what? They're going to say whatever they need to say to try to keep people. I said, but what how, What a silly thing to do. Hmm. What a silly thing to do. All they had, had to do was say, hey, guys, Colton stepped out of ministry. He's wrestling with some things. We're going to study it out. We're going to get together. Just pray for them. Yeah. And that would have been the end of it. Sure. Instead, they they started to lie. Then eight days later, they come out with a marking letter. And I'm now marked. Yeah. And they meet with the entire church, not just in Columbus, all around the world, two days before Christmas so that they could read this mm. letter. Now, we were missionaries in London and Boston. We planted churches. So Mandy was from Eugene, Oregon. So I was from Arizona at that time. So we, we know a lot of people. A lot of people know us. Yeah. We were overseeing different ministries, International College of Christian Ministries. We were preaching at conferences in Manila and Mexico. So they read this letter to everybody. It was at that point I started to then speak out on Facebook. They erased all my sermons on YouTube, deleted the channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started to, to, to erase me from all the videos they've ever had. Yeah, And kind of just cancel culture that I ever even existed. Right. 
And that's when we then made our website, Roan Family Adventure. We started a YouTube channel, Roan Family Adventure. And it was a chance to kind of share my side. So I did a sermon called Stand for Truth. And that was my response to the marking letter, to them taking down everything. Yeah. They filed a lawsuit. Well, they uh, cease and desist. They were going to sue me if I did not take down my last sermon entitled Noel, where I taught the Greek on 2 Corinthians 9-7. I knew it was going to be my last sermon. Yeah, Uh, It was Sunday uh, the 11th. I knew it was my last one. I preached on 2 Corinthians 9-7, and they threatened me with a $150,000 lawsuit if I didn't take it down. Wow. So now I, I make the video uh, stand for truth. And at this point, I just want to s- go be with God for 40 days in the desert. Right. I, yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody really. I don't want to, you know, yeah. preach right now. I just want, I, I need to go back and restudy everything and find out what do I believe yeah. on everything, mm-hmm. every topic. Well, I start getting flooded with calls from around the world. People from all over the world are now calling me, reaching out. And when we stepped out December 14th, we had no savings. Mm. We had no no way of paying January uh, mortgage and rent and bills. And uh, we have no idea what we're going to do. But all I knew was, trust God. Yeah. He's going to give us what we need. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the same time, we're having these conversations with people. And, and they're saying things like, could I even be saved outside of Kip's church? I go, oh my gosh, of course you can. Mm-hmm. So now I do a sermon entitled Central Leadership. Kit McKean, question mark. <laughs> I did a whole lesson on Jesus being the central leader. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how the YouTube channel started to build. In the meantime, I go to visit my dad uh, on the family farm for Christmas. Mm-hmm. This huge storm rolled in. So we came two days late and my dad is not doing well health-wise. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what's going on with him. His hands are swollen. His feet are swollen. He can't even get himself dressed. I'm, I'm helping dress him. I'm, I'm helping him with the cattle that he's, he's feeding um, with the farm chores. And I said, Dad, I, we got to take you to the hospital. And we took him to the ER and they checked him into the hospital for four days. After, after just some steroids, he gets better. Yeah. <laughs> they, they release him. He goes through a few trials of steroids. He just miraculously gets better. Hmm. But in that meantime, we decided we were going to move back to the farm and help my dad. Yeah. So I said, okay, we're going to move back to the farm. Maybe we'll build a little cabin on the farm or something and, and, yeah. and take over and, and run the farm then. And, and by the grace of God, people are giving us donations. And that's how we're surviving. People are, are generous awesome. and just mm-hmm. giving us. And it was incredible. It was a yeah. miracle. God was moving through people. I, I was not going to pressure somebody to give. So I made a... A promise to God, I wasn't going to ask for it. Yeah, <laughs> but God moved, and and people were donating, and that paid our bills, mm-hmm. and and it was just enough to survive. I mean, when you're talking about just enough for your needs, yeah, that's what it was, and yeah. it was uh, amazing. And in the process, we've been hustling, and we started a business with a coffee shop. We started yeah. a dog food business with Sup Dog. I started on Rover watching dogs. We turned our home into an Airbnb. <laughs> Uh, we've been farming. I'm now renovating my sister's Every home. possible I mean, avenue. Yeah. <laughs> everything we can think of to mm-hmm. make ends meet. And then on the side, uh, still preaching sermons online and, and whatnot. So it's been this incredible journey. 
not to mention everything I've been learning and unlearning mm. as I just go back and say, you know what? I want to study the Bible to the best of my ability without an agenda. Yep. I just want to look at every scripture and say, why? Right. And what does it say? And it's been life changing. So not only has my life been changing, my doctrine's been changing. Mm. My relationships have been changing. A lot of my close friends, since they marked me, they no longer associate with me. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that have been reaching out from the church to say, hey, we agree with you. Uh, yeah. We felt the same stuff, mm -hmm. but they're still in the church. So they can't be open, which yeah. is fine. They're, they're, they're on their journey, but my relationships have changed. Mm. And it's been amazing how God's been bringing new relationships into our life, new yeah. friends, and really based on truth. And so yeah. it's amazing how God's been working and guiding us, but it's, it's been a journey that has been hard. Yeah, It's been challenging, but I can't explain it enough or I, I don't really know how to tell you, but it's, it's been such a freeing hmm. journey. And really one of the scriptures that I I've come to love, uh, second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17, where it talks about the spirit of the Lord. There is the spirit of freedom. Hmm. There is freedom with God. And, and so it's just amazing. The freedom in Christ yeah. that I did not have. And I just look back and go, Oh my gosh, how could I have been so deceived? How could yeah. I have been so silly? But in all in all, I've learned that we've all been deceived at different points in our, our lives. It's a matter of what you're going to do when you realize the truth. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to some people, they're so afraid of what's going to happen. What are they going to do if they take a stand? And I'm telling them, just take the stand. Like, Don't worry about it. Have yeah. faith. God's going to take care of you. It will be challenging. It, it will be hard. But what else are you going to do? Right. Not take a stand on truth? Just go along with the program? No. Like that's the whole, what we signed up for as Christians yeah. was Jesus is the truth. He is the way. And that's what we want in all things in our lives. So it's just been, um, yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned just a minute ago the term marking. And I know for a lot of people listening, they may know what that idea is, but there's also probably many who have been a part of our churches and not who don't. So briefly, I'll, I'll say something about it. You can add whatever you want if you have any uh, context, but marking in our church, uh, both of our shared churches, is the term given to mean to designate somebody who has decided to leave the church that lets people know, lets all the members and leaders, not just in your one church, but in the entire worldwide organization, that no one is to affiliate with them, no one is to talk to them, no one is to be in any kind of form of communication. You're supposed to block your, that person on Facebook and on social media. You're supposed to not email them. You're supposed to cut all ties from this person because as they deem it, this person has fallen away from God. They have turned and been led away by Satan. They have chosen the world. They are prideful and arrogant and resistant and rebellious and refuse to obey God and leadership. And therefore, they are completely a bad influence, to put it lightly, and they are a threat to your faith. And what happens is 
oftentimes it, it wavers sometimes in the way this happens, but usually a formal and official marking to its highest extent means that when somebody leaves, regardless of what their reasoning for leaving was, it could be a very valid reason or it could be like this where well, I mean, it's a very valid reason, but yet it goes against what the church believes you should be doing is leaving for a dispute over what the scripture means, right? They don't want to hear it. So they deemed you falling away and choosing Satan, whatever, right? Being led away by Satan. And what happened in your case is they released a, an official letter, a digital letter. I don't know if it was ever physical, but it was online. A letter sent to the entire organization that looks very culty because just how, like the letter has a seal on it. It has a nice embroidery, nice, you know, it looks like one of those very official, like a DC document. And it's very cordially written letting everyone know in this letter format where you guys now stand, where this person stands with God. And it's very creepy, but very threatening. And that's why we heard you say, Colton, earlier that you begged them in your letter not to mark you because of such an official daunting thing it is. But what else, would you add anything else to that? What else would you say about that? It's Romans 16, verse 17. That's your scripture to use to try to describe it. In context, it's really somebody trying to disrupt somebody from Christ and the gospel. It's not somebody who disagreed with you on finances. It's just, but they use it for anything that disagrees with their leadership. And so they mark it and they silence them. I can touch a little bit about it because when, when you get marked, it's for people to not have anything to do with you, to shun you, to disassociate with you. Now, the Pharisees tried to do that to Jesus and the the apostles. They tried to get them to silence them, to don't talk to anybody. Paul went and had debates, public debates. And so you got to ask yourself, I mean, if I'm really in the wrong, why not debate me? Why not publicly show everybody, here's what the Greek is, here's what the Bible says, here's how Colton is wrong. But instead, they want to silence Colton, erase Colton from from the the history book. Have everyone separate from you, right. You don't anybody talk to them. Right. And it's like, wow, you, you imitate the Pharisees more than anybody else in that, that act. Yeah. Because if it's complete garbage, what I'm teaching, then people are wise enough to use their Bibles and see it. Right. If that's what they are, unless you're saying everybody's so naive, they can't right. you know, determine anything, which in a way we all get deceived. And so we are naive. And so I think that's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword for the members because at one point the leadership saying you guys are all naive mind and you can't handle talking to Colton. And on the other hand, they go, well, we want to protect everybody because you guys are awesome. And you know, your Bible, you're a teacher of the word, right? You know what you're talking about to silence false teachers. Right. It, It just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. That is a really wild distinction where on, on one side, that's so true. On one side, our church, our shared churches, right? We have so many similarities in our organizations and ties. We're, we're taught and we're looked at as if we are the church that has these things figured out in contrast to the rest of the churches or at least the majority of churches around the world, right? We have it figured out. Our members, our disciples, our Christians are able to read, discern, analyze, and defend Scripture and our faith accurately when other people don't. So. We, when people, when we go out and evangelize or people come to our church for the first time, we have to take the way they see scripture and faith 
and remold it into ours because ours we believe is correct, right? Theirs is not suitable enough or sustainable enough until we vet it and mold it and make it right into our way of thinking. That's how it usually always is. And it's not always that malicious, but that's really what it is. So, and then when you have someone in the church who has an opinion or a belief or sees something they don't agree with in the church, all of a sudden, all the members that these leaders have, grow, have sown into believing that they have firm foundation, right, and deep roots and accurate interpretations, suddenly they are so susceptible to the lies being spewed by this one member for uh, uh, differing beliefs that this person is an imminent threat to their faith and they could turn this person away from God at a moment's notice, which does not correlate at all. It's in complete opposition with each other. Okay, I want to branch off here and ask you this. What is one thing that you would tell yourself if you could go back and talk to yourself who is just becoming a member or just becoming a leader of your former church organization? What would you tell yourself? You know, it's it's an interesting thought process to want to change your experiences mm. or embrace them. I think of, of 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about having a life of no regrets. Mm-hmm. And that only comes with repentance. It comes with change. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for my experiences. Right. And so in some ways, <laughs> I look at it and go, man, yeah, I lost a lot. I, you know, went through some hardships that weren't necessary. I lost a lot of relationships of friends and family in that sort because of the doctrine, but I would not be who I am today. And I would not be where I am today if I wouldn't have gone through it. So I've learned to embrace that past. Absolutely. And I think if I could tell myself something, it would just pretty much be buckle up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because since then I've learned so much and where I'm at today and where I'm going in my life. Yeah. I've, I don't want to relive the challenges that I've recently experienced, yeah. but I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned through them. Absolutely. No, I relate to that so much. For me, in my own you know, personal experiences, I, I wouldn't want to have to experience it again. Yet, those experiences have influenced, in a very positive way, so much of what I do now and who I am now and the ways I think and the things that I the conversations I have and the things I approach, right? So, I mean, it's so much of what I do is I wrote a book out of it. I, through that and this podcast, I've been able to have so many conversations that have deepened my faith and my overall understanding of God and church and life and myself and have really helped other people I know, which is really cool. And just, just, so all those things I really understand and resonate with, none of that would happen, none of this would be happening if it wasn't for the experiences I had that weren't great. So it's that question of, man, I really wouldn't want to go through it again. But if I had to go back, knowing the good that comes out of it and through that process, would I? But yeah, really, really interesting stuff to think about. So, okay, here's another question for you. What has been the biggest thing or things that you've learned about God, church, or yourself since leaving your former church? One of the things that I've I've learned is a quote from John MacArthur and he talks about false doctrines. Loudest cry is unity. Mm. We were all about being unified. You did not want to be rebellious. You didn't want to be 
<laughs> going the opposite direction of everybody else. And so unity was preached so hard. Right. And I really believed it. We didn't want to be divisive. We didn't want to divide the body of Christ. But I've learned that that when you have somebody preaching unity hard, it's usually on the back of false doctrine. Hmm. Because what I've learned is if you preach the truth, anybody on the side of truth will then be unified with you. Unity wow. is mm -hmm. a fruit, mm -hmm. not a root. You don't need to preach unity. You need to preach truth. And everybody who agrees with the truth will then be unified. We'll come together. Wow, that's great. And be strengthened by that truth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I, I've learned... As I shared earlier, central leadership, any scripture we ever used on central leadership in the church, they were all pointing to Jesus, not to a man. Right. Those are Jesus. And Jesus actually holds the position. I, I have a whole lesson on it. Mm. I, I think the other things that I learned is evangelizing the world. Many groups use this as their motivation. But you look in the Bible, they didn't evangelize the world with one of their church group names, the way, the, the church of the firstborn, the church of Christ. No, it was the name of Jesus. It was the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped back and said, wow, we're not trying to evangelize the world with the gospel, with the name of Jesus. We're trying to evangelize the world with the name of the International Christian Church, wow. with everybody knowing of us. Mm -hmm. And so it made me rethink our motivation in evangelizing, what that actually means. I've learned the idea of discipleship. In Matthew 28, the Greek is very interesting. It's a participle. It means you're, you're doing an action while doing something else. And so the make a disciple is actually aorist. It means it's past tense. So it's made a disciple to be politically correct. Hmm. And you're made into a disciple while baptizing them. So you're made into a disciple when you are baptized in hmm. the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The ICC separates those two things. You got to first wow. be made into a disciple, then get baptized. Many other church groups do the same thing, and yeah. it's it's a false doctrine. No, you are made into a disciple when you're baptized. That was mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and I've been able to see that in other groups as well. Leadership qualifications. Yes. What does the Bible teach on being a leader? Now, <laughs> Kip, in some ways, I think is a is a genius. So I don't think he's just doing this without knowing what he's doing. I think he's yeah. deliberate in what he's doing. And in, in a way, it's it's genius for what he's trying to do. I don't sure. agree with it, sure. but he created the role of an evangelist. Now, there's only a few scriptures in the Bible, the whole Bible, where it uses the word evangelist. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of them. You don't really get much from that. Yeah. But what Kip has been able to do is say, an evangelist is this. And all these other scriptures on overseer, bishop, deacon, pastor, those are all other roles. Hmm. And so what he's able, been able to do is put people in the role of an evangelist, even though they are disqualified from being an overseer, because he says an evangelist is not an elder or overseer or right. shepherd or deacon. They, they are an evangelist. And so he's got people leading who should not be leading, according to the Bible. Sure. And so I've learned, wow, if you want to be an, an evangelist, biblically, you preach the good news. But that does not mean you don't have to meet those qualifications of being an overseer, an hmm. elder, if you want to lead a church, especially. And so I've learned, what does it actually mean to be a leader? And I'm inspired to want to meet those qualifications hmm. in every area of my life. And, and so I do a lesson on that on my, my channel. Yeah. The other thing is forgiveness and bitterness. You know, uh, you feel anything in church and you express feelings of maybe anger or something that that always gets labeled as bitterness. And I, I, I found yeah. out 
It's not, it's not bitterness in the Bible. You can feel, you can be angry. That doesn't mean you're bitter. Now you do have to forgive and that's a challenging thing, but it's forgiveness to free yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not to permit in a sense them continuing to do. It's not to say they don't have any consequences in this life or the next, but it is that I can let go. I can move forward because I was able to let go of their sin against me. Mm-hmm. And so th- I do a lesson on that. Now, one of the things that I've really come across is almost all churches, and it's a sermon I'm working on, and it's called Change the Church. And I, I've really been working on this for months now, and I'm, I am I feel like God's just still teaching me it, and I'm still learning it. But yeah. it's interesting how many groups, how many churches want a monopoly on the membership of the body of Christ. <laughs> they want to yeah. say, this is the group. Yeah. But they forget Luke 17. You can't say here it is or there it is. It's it's among y'all. It's it's you can't put a fence around it. You can't own a monopoly on it. And I find that most churches, they want power, control, and money. Yeah. And so they twist things. They twist scriptures like Hebrews 13, 17, which says obey your leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew 23, Jesus told them to obey the Pharisees and what they say. Yeah. And you go, wait a second, why would I obey them? He says, because they read the Torah. When they read the Bible. You obey what they say. Why? Because it's God's word. Yeah. Outside of that, you have no jurisdiction. You have no authority. Right. Your opinion is your opinion and people are free in Christ. And so all this power and control that these church leaders want to have, I say, let's give the power and the control back to Jesus. Mm. And when it comes to money, let's do what we're supposed to be doing, which is giving it to the poor and needy amongst us. Yeah. You got so many people getting rich off of the gospel. Mm. It, you know, church is supposed to be a fellowship, not a 501c3. Yep. It's a fellowship. It's not to be yeah. this organization. You know, and, and these ministers, I think they corral people because they want to protect them. They, they put up a fence because they think I need to put this fence up of all these rules, all these regulations, because there's wolves out there and I got to protect the sheep. Right. They forget that Jesus is the good shepherd. Mm. That he says that you go through the gate, which is him, and he leads you out into open pasture and you will be kept safe by the good shepherd. Wow. I, I think of it this way. If I'm in a cage in the water surrounded by sharks, I'm happy to be in that cage. Sure. But that's no place to live. I don't want to live in mm. that cage because that's prison. But that's what they do to people and they call it Christianity. And so people get ticked off at these extra rules that they put in place. And they lose their faith in Christ at times because they really lost their faith in people. Yeah. I, I think the last thing is, is quote unquote membership. Yeah. I believe I'm a Christian in my walk with God. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the family of God. I believe I have, I had the right to become a child of God through my faith. Mm-hmm. And when I was converted, I became a child of God. I'm in the family. Now I go and visit different churches at times Yeah, and I'm a visitor. And I'm treated like a visitor. Sure. And I thought of this. I said, you know, if I went to a Roan family adventure, my last name is Roan. And I went to a Roan, uh, not family adventure. I went to a Roan family reunion. My yeah. last name is Roan. And they said, oh, uh, would you like to join the Roan family? And I go, uh, no, I'm, I'm a Roan already. I was mm. born a Roan. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, well, that's nice. But, you know, if you'd like to be a part of this family, uh, hey, guys, we're going to eat. But let's let the visitors. Visitors go first. Uh, Colton, <laughs> you want to go? So true. Like, Why am I a visitor? I'm already a part of the family. Yep. And that's what's happened in these churches is if you're not a part of that church, if you weren't converted into that group, you're not a part of the family. You're a visitor. Mm-hmm. And even seen as a non-Christian, I think that's really wrong. Yeah. I think it's a fellowship. I don't think it's 
it's a corral. I don't think you have a monopoly on the body of Christ. Yeah. I think there needs to be a fellowship that allows people to be free in Christ. Mm. And, and when we come together, you, you don't need to go beyond what is written, but you allow Christ to set the rules. You allow God to be the wall of fire around us. You allow Christ to be the pasture, to be the fence, to be the gate, to be the good shepherd. And, and we can use the scriptures and everybody can use the scriptures. It's not just a, a leader using the scriptures. Right. You don't need a preacher to regurgitate what you already need to be reading. Right. You have the Holy Spirit to instruct you. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you. And you are able to walk with Christ on an individual path, Yeah. but also collectively as a body of Christ together as a fellowship mm. and nobody gets the right to say whether you're in that or not. Only Christ gets to decide that. Yeah. And so I think there needs to be a huge change with what we call church. Even just the idea of what church is. We think it's a building, a place we go on Sunday morning, but really it is a fellowship. That's the word Ecclesia. It's the assembly of the called out. It's a gathering. Yeah. And when we commune with each other and we commune with Christ, that is our communion and remember to what he did. And so there's, there's a big need for change. It's a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, a lot of people are opening their eyes and they're seeing what I saw in my church. I think they're seeing it in their church. And there's a whole movement of people who love God, who love the Bible, but they don't go to a organization right now because they go, why would I go to that group right. where that minister's rich and making all this money and we're given to this entity because we got to give all this money. Right. And you got poor people in the fellowship. That's not Christian. Mm. Let's just be Christians. Let's just be the church rather than build right. <laughs> a church. Let's be the church. Let's live right. it out. So it's it's been a journey. It's been learning a lot. Uh, I've been trying to share all those lessons in a deeper context there on my, my YouTube channel. But um, I, I would say I've been learning a lot more after leaving mm. than what I did while being there. And that definitely seems to be a, a commonality because especially if you're in a church, like a, like a high control group, but any, any spiritual community or, or community of other kinds of interests, because for many reasons, whether it's with, with intent or just as a result of being in a unified group of a certain type of thinking, your your thoughts and direction of what you're thinking is already kind of predetermined or at least heavily biased or influenced in a certain direction or to have a certain outcome. So even when you're left to have completely free thoughts or beliefs, they're really still heavily influenced in a certain direction. So once you're out of that, any ties or allegiance to having to think a certain way is dropped. So you are literally completely free to think about things any way you want and question things and doubt things and and kind of push the margins on certain categories of thought or whatever. So I I completely relate to that being once once being out really learning so much more because you're not as afraid or cautious of seeking deeper. So when you seek deeper you find deeper. So and you know what? I was gonna ask you this last question that I ask every guest, but this may be the first time that I ask this kind of retroactively, where you kind of already answered this question with the last one. But the question is, 
This podcast and my book are all based around the idea of crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realize that we need to reevaluate our perspective on. So the question is, what is one or a few of your own crumpled papers that you've had to reevaluate or get a new understanding of? But this, you've already kind of listed a whole bunch here, but is there anything else maybe that you want to add to that? Or is that pretty much it? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I kind of... Because all those constitute as that too. Yeah, there's there's so much. Um, yeah. It's just, it blows my mind. So many scriptures that we used that were used to teach us and guide us that were twisted and manipulated all for an agenda. Yeah. Get more recruits, get more people, as John would say, money is the answer for everything, but baptisms bring more money. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So Joe Willis wrote a book called Money is the Answer for Everything. It's a, it's actually a scripture, but mm. it's, I believe, taken out of context. In the world, it's it's the answer for everything, but right. not with godly people. Right. And and John would, would say that baptisms mean more money. Because if you got more baptisms, more you got people, more contributors. More wallets, more money. Yeah, more people, more money. Wow. More problems. More, yeah, more <laughs> so, people, more money, more problems. Um, dude, Colton, thank you so much for being on. This was a fantastic conversation. I know there were so many things that people are going to benefit from and value from, hopefully. And um, I'm so glad that you were able to come on and share those thoughts with me. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you, my brother. It's been great uh, getting to see so many more people take a stand for truth mm-hmm. and take a stand for what is right. We might not know what's going to happen when we take this stand, and yeah. that's okay. We don't need to know, mm-hmm. but, but I do believe as the second frozen movie just do the next right thing <laughs> amen to that <laughs> and and that's kind of uh what i believe is is what jesus wants of us is to take a stand for what is right according to the scriptures those are the words of a true father of three <laughs> <laughs> three girls yeah three girls guys that is it for this episode and that's it for this season that was the last chapter of the book we just discussed and there is going to be a finale wrap-up episode next week to tie in everything we've talked about. I have some other things I want to discuss, and there will be an awesome section at the end to uh, hear from you guys about some of the things that you guys got from and took away from these 22 episodes or 23 episodes. So I will see you next week for that official season one wrap-up. But until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.